Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we're going to talk about the iOS 15.3 updates that went out this past week. Can the iPhone one day accept payments directly? And got some iMessage tips for you as well. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Truebill. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me is my long-worded friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How's it going? Hello. Uh, you catch me actually preparing for my own earnings call uh, later. Oh. Uh, the details are going to be a little slimmer than Apple's, but I think I'm going to beat <laughs> Wall Street expectations. Yes. Ah, oh, wonderful, mm. wonderful. Well, that's good to hear. And I said long-worded friend because right before we started recording. You know, you've been up for a while because you're over there in the UK. Yes. And so you've had some time to warm up the, the long words. You used a, what is it, perennial? Like just right off the bat, as soon as you answered the Skype call, you said perennial. Isn't that, yeah, I said easy, easy does it. Is that not how Americans answer the phone? Perennial? No? no? <laughs> yeah. That? Yeah, that's, that's how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything funny to respond with. So I'm sorry. That's, that's, okay, that's all I, I, I Let me thank you then, at least, for picking that word out of the others that I used, describing Skype and my uh, usage of it. That was, that was the family-friendly word you plucked out of the sentence. Yeah, maybe one day we'll, we'll move to something besides Skype. I don't know. It's just kind of a, a long-standing thing. I think it updated right before we started recording because, you know, it just does what it wants. Yeah. It doesn't really listen to me. Yeah, what do we matter? We are just servants of Microsoft. <laughs> Actually, in all seriousness, I have been in uh, Writers Guild meetings where a man checked his laptop, looked at whatever it was, sat back down at the table, opened it up to read some really important thing, and Windows said no. Three hours it sat there updating itself in the middle of a really expensive wow. semi-international uh, Writers Guild meeting. Oh, Whereas with Apple, goodness. at least, you know, they'd go, look, would you mind? Can we? And you can say no. Yeah, not yeah. until afterwards. I genuinely think that is the difference. That's right. Microsoft thinks we don't matter. Apple thinks <laughs> we're eventually going to buy more Apple gear. Let's be nice to us. It's a fine line. Wow. That's a, that's a hot take, William. I like it. Yes. <laughs> so before we jump into all the news and such, I wanted to give shout outs. This is going to be a new segment of the show where I give shout outs to people who have left five star ratings and reviews for the show in the Apple Podcasts app. I thought it'd be fun to kind of highlight. We've had lots of reviews come in for HomeKit Insider and Apple Insider, five stars, which is awesome. And so a few of them from this past week, this was Mark G05, the, the names in the Apple Podcast thing, it shows up weird. So uh, you know who you are. But Mark G from Australia, he listens all the way from across the world. That's like across an even larger pond. Well, what's what's the uh, vernacular? What do you call that when someone's across the Pacific? Lucky. Just across. No. Um... <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Very good. The other pond, the larger one. Uh, Jan, the photo man. He's from the USA and Jay Vols283. Thank you guys for uh, five star ratings and reviews. Oh, that's so funny. I know a Jay Vols282. I wonder if they're related. <laughs> At all. So, William, you're in rare form today. I mean, you, you're using big words off the bat. You're very quippy. This is going to be a good show. I'm excited for this. Okay. Lots of news broke out late Thursday afternoon. The biggest being Apple had its earnings call, which it reported its Q1 holiday revenue, and they totally beat Wall Street expectations. Wall Street believed they would earn $118 billion in revenue. Apple actually earned $123.9 billion in revenue, a record quarter, their highest quarter ever. Tim Cook actually said on the earnings call that there's 1.8 billion Apple devices in active use right now. A couple other notes of interest were that 
half of iPad purchasers are new to the product, six out of 10 sales in China are actually new to the Mac. When it comes to Apple services revenue, Apple reports that there are all-time records for video, music, cloud services, payments, and App Store. And of course, one of the reporters on the call asked Tim Cook about the metaverse, to which Tim Cook explained that they are always exploring new opportunities and quote, over 14,000 AR kit apps are on the App Store now, with lots of potential in the space. Of course, didn't give anything to an AR VR headset or didn't leak anything there during the call. So Apple had a huge queue on earnings there and also the betas for iPadOS 15.4, iOS 15.4 and macOS 12.3 were released late Thursday and the long awaited universal control feature is actually coming in iPadOS 15.4 and macOS 12.3. There are lots of videos already of universal control. Andrew O'Hara at Apple Insider will be releasing a video on that as well. So welcome that that feature is coming and also other features that we didn't expect are actually coming with 15.4. Number one, Face ID will actually be updated in iOS 15.4 where users can unlock their phones with a mask but not needing the Apple Watch. Right now we have Apple Watch unlock for face mask detection, but in the next iOS 15.4, there'll actually be a setting to enable Face ID even while wearing a mask. Those who wear glasses will be encouraged to do multiple scans with their different glasses and Face ID is going to focus on that area between the nose and eyes to try and unlock the phone according to your face. So that's a welcome feature. Shortcuts also got some updates. Federico Vitici was tweeting about some of the updates there. One of the best updates is that you'll be able to turn off notifications for automated shortcuts. So if you've set up automations and shortcuts for time of day, or all the other triggers you can do. If you have those, you know how annoying those notifications can be that comes multiple times a day. Well, there'll actually be a toggle where you can turn off those notifications for automated shortcuts. Now, in addition to that, Apple actually publicly released iOS 15.3, macOS 12.2, everything got updated yesterday to a big point number, but not really uh, big features, William. Have it, did you have you noticed any difference with all the Safari bug fixes that supposedly happened with the vulnerabilities and user history and all that? Not a single one. Okay. <laughs> but actually, that's not the vulnerability in Safari that's been really bugging me. Recently, you know, I, I love the uh, uh, the new tab system, but I find I open a tab in Safari now and it says, no, he hasn't got open on other machines, I'll close it. And so it open and closes sites on me. I want them to fix that. Have they fixed that yet, please? I don't know. I have noticed the iCloud tabs. That's the phrase, yeah. Yeah, the iCloud tabs, they have not shown up consistently like you're saying. So that I do hope maybe, I haven't looked at since the updates yesterday. I did notice in the iOS 15.3 fix, we talk about it more on HomeKit Insider on Monday's episode, but if you use HomeKit cameras, the Home app, when you would first open it, the thumbnails that it would show for each camera was not mm. updating quickly. Like it would show a thumbnail from days ago or hours ago, basically the last time you opened the app. And now those thumbnails are much more up to date. So if you update to 15.3, update all your HomePods and Apple TVs, those thumbnails are much more current, like just by a few seconds. So yeah. that was a welcome fix for sure, because that was kind of annoying. And then also Monterey 12.2 for the Mac came out, so you can update all your devices. But a supposed update with Monterey is that the Apple Music app has been rewritten to feel faster, be more fluid and all that. And I've noticed it to be a little faster, I think. But then after a few clicks, it just kind of sat there sometimes and loaded. Have you noticed anything in the music app? Do you use the music app on your Mac? Not on the Mac. I don't know why it is. I don't use the Mac or Siri. Excuse me. I don't use the music app or Siri on the Mac, whereas I use both constantly so much on every other device I've got. And I have no idea why that would be. So I hadn't noticed. But actually, if it is a bit faster, I might well give it a go. 
uh, on it. So I noticed it launched faster and initially brought some stuff up faster. Going to the Browse tab where it pulls some playlists, you know, that Apple curates and top songs right now. Yeah. That wasn't as fast, but, you know, it's pulling from the internet and refreshing that every time you go to the tab. But I've noticed it a little faster. And then supposedly if you have one of the new MacBook Pros, the 14 or 16 inch with the ProMotion display, there's been some Safari updates where ProMotion is now more fluid and actually takes advantage of that variable refresh rate in Safari. So if you notice that, great. I went to twitter.com and after the update, scrolled up and down to see if I noticed it. It does not look as good as on my iPhone. The ProMotion display on my 13 Pro scrolling things like Twitter the text is much more legible while I'm scrolling, even if I'm moving it semi-quickly. I don't notice that same fluidness on the MacBook Pro just yet, but they might still be tweaking that as this update said, you know, even yesterday they were tweaking it. So have you noticed any difference there either? Uh, not yet, but the thing is, uh, I don't know what it is about me. I don't tend to notice ProMotion. Uh, when you say that about text, I thought, well, actually, yeah, it does sometimes seem a lot crisper than it used to. Is that what I'm seeing? People go into raptures over ProMotion, and, and for good reasons, and, and I just don't get it for some reason. It just visually doesn't happen to me, except that thing about text being crisper. Maybe I'm just not appreciating the finer points as much as anybody else. But uh, I haven't actually updated my MacBook Pro yet, so I will do that one specifically to uh, find out. Okay. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's because you're using such big words, you know, it just wraps to a second line. You okay. don't even notice. It's <laughs> just using those eight-syllable words. Yeah, it's that high definition and justification goes mad in the middle mm. of it all. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Okay, now let, let me ask you, this is a side note, because, you know, you're a writer, William. On a website, would you prefer that they hyphenate long words across lines, or would you prefer no hyphenation? Oh, you mean because of the line breaks, not that they're actually... Yes. So, uh, I, I, 40 years ago, I spent time with uh, <laughs> a, an academic and scientist who had worked out... Uh, I said hyphenation justification there, and I don't just use those words in that order. That is the phrase. H and J work. They had done modules for it for computing then. The amount of work that goes into this decision is astounding, because if you ever get it wrong... Uh, if you put the, the, the classic example everybody gives is if you split a word uh, like therapist and make it the mm. rapist, you know, that is not, you, know, you cannot risk that. So the amount of checking and dictionary lookups and decisions about all of this, it's fascinating. And I think as long as they get it right, then I'm, I would accept either uh, rather than have problems like that. There you go. You didn't want all that detail, but it's a hot no, topic. No, no, no. That was, that was good. Listen, you're, you're the expert here when it comes to, you know, the written word. So I wanted your opinion. I'm going to ask you one more. This is the bonus segment of the show where I ask William about uh, fonts and text and writing. <laughs> so I feel so under pressure here, but okay. Yes. No. Yeah. I mean, you, listen, you're the expert. You got to get it right. Oh, wait, if I get it wrong, I can just pretend that's what it's like here in the UK, can't I? Fine. Far oh, away. That is, yeah, <laughs> that is true. For things like headlines, do you prefer title case or sentence case? Uh, my personal preference is sentence case, but that's chiefly because so often people get title case wrong and they, they do literally title case that every single word has a title. So and and the right. has it. And I think those words are particularly ugly. Uh, when we are reading words, you might imagine we're reading each letter and translating it, but we're not. We're seeing words as a whole. So a word that is uppercase and lowercase mixed, our eyes see it uh, much better than if it's in all caps, for 
example, our eyes are much slower. If it's the case is wrong, we still have to think about it. So a proper mm. uh, title case, the way I would do it, is is the best way for all headlines ever. So there. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That was, that's really good. Very good. And if our users are curious, there is a website, titlecase.com, where if you want to like put a string of text into this website, it will actually convert it to either title case, AP style title case, lowercase, camel case, which is like an all caps, but the first letter is like a larger caps than the other letters, which I don't know, I think is a particularly... I don't know. I don't like camel case. No. I don't like camel case unless it's like part of a brand maybe. Yeah. But even then, but anyway, titlecase.com. It's a cool resource if you're trying to write headlines and you're not sure what words need to be capitalized when you're doing title case. That's a cool website to uh, refer to. In that case, actually, can I refer you Please. to um, an app, a Mac app called Text Soap, which has exactly that same feature. It's not what I use it for. I use it for stripping out uh, bits of HTML code. I use it for um, just uh, capitalizing various things so I need removing tabs, doing all sorts of things. But Tech Soap for the Mac, also oh, available as part of Setup, is a really nifty little tool. Okay, William, you legitimately impressed me with the amount of obscure, <laughs> tiny Mac apps and utilities that you are both aware of and use seemingly on a regular <laughs> basis. So now I'm going to ask you to do this, William. If you would open a Finder window, please, mm -hmm. on your Macintosh computer. I have one here, yes. Yeah. Yep. And if you would go to the Applications and let me know how many items are in that list in your applications folder. Right. I've got to say, I've actually trimmed this down. It's a mere 184 <laughs> at the moment. Wow. Okay, so... Is that still a lot? It used to I be mean, three times that amount because I'd never get rid of anything I reviewed. Now I'm on a SSD, I have to be a lot more careful. Yeah, space. yeah, you got man to manage that space. Yeah. I mean, I have 106 items in my applications folder. Yeah, but you're young. Well, you know, you'll get there. You can aspire to more. Well, pretty soon I'm going to be closer to 40 than I am to 30. And no spoilers. I have a, I have a birthday coming up in a couple months. But... I also have like, you know, obscure apps that I never use, like Cisco WebEx meetings. But, yeah. you know, every once in a while, someone will send me, a, you know, WebEx. so you got weird things like that. But yeah, I also when I get a new Mac, I typically don't do migration assistant because I like starting fresh and only installing the applications that I really want. Mm. I didn't do that with the new MacBook Pro because I only had the M1 for less than a year. And that one I started with fresh. So I did it for the latest MacBook Pro. But usually I like to start fresh. Like if and when a new 27-inch iMac comes out, which hopefully is very soon, I'm probably going to do a fresh install and only put on there what I want. Like no migration or copying or anything. But do you always my I mean, with that amount of applications and utilities, you probably migrate every time, right? I wish I could say yes or no. I just each time I've moved to Mac in the last few years, it's it's become a real pain whichever way I've done. The migration wouldn't work or it took an incredible uh, number of hours or I did do it from fresh. I think on my MacBook Pro I did it from fresh at first, but then there were some apps where for whatever reason I could not retrieve the old license agreement from. I mean, I'd bought them. I'd got the license. I couldn't do it. And the companies, I don't know, they'd gone out of business or something. I couldn't get it. So in the end, I actually remember giving up and plugging the MacBook in overnight and doing a migration, wiped it, started again from scratch. Uh, so I suppose uh, I've got to say migration, but it's the worst part of moving to a new Mac. It really is. I mean, I'll have to say this new MacBook Pro is the first time I ever did it. 
and doing it over a Thunderbolt connection, which I was going from an M1 MacBook Pro to an M1 Pro. Hmm. So it's kind of like the best case scenario. It's all Apple Silicon. They're all modern Macs. It was a good experience in that regard. But I imagine if you're moving from like an older Intel Mac to a brand new M1 Max MacBook Pro, like you're going to run into some stuff. Hmm. But I will say license agreements and license codes, activations for a lot of, especially if you run thousands of apps like William. Yeah, you're gonna, it's gonna be better to do migration assistant and then maybe, maybe clean up some stuff before you do mm. the migration assistant. That's a good idea. And an app that, yeah, and that William that you recommended to me that I still love is Hazel. Oh, yes. And one of the best features of Hazel is when you delete an application, it will scour all the library folders, all the application support folders, and delete all the little files and folders that, an app hides away in the preferences and all that kind of stuff. And so it would be great to just, even if you haven't used it before and don't care to use it long-term, you download Hazel, delete applications so it cleans up all that stuff and then do the migration. So clean up, then migration is, a, I think, a good order. Hey, as mentioned, I'm on an SSD and have to be more careful and Hazel's one of the ways to do it. I have a certain file, like I have, a, I have an image uh, bucket where any work I'm doing graphically for Apple Insider or anywhere, it ends up in there. And after a week, it's just automatically deleted because in that particular case, yeah. I know I don't need it again. And that keeps my uh, uh, drive under control. So yay, Hazel. There you go. It's a, it's a good application. One of the 800 apps that William uses on a regular basis. Very good. <laughs> but I will put a link to that text soap. I did not know about that application and that seems very attractive. Mm. So when you say it strips HTML, like what exactly well, do you do? Do you like just copy paste raw HTML and it removes everything? Uh, yes, basically. I, but I've kind of added keyboard maestro steps to it and things. For, uh, here's an example. The very first paragraph of an Apple Insider uh, story might well include a link to... Yeah, If you're asking about the MacBook Pro, there might be a link in the first paragraph to all of Apple Insider's MacBook Pro coverage because it's useful and it's there. Right. And you want it? Fine. So you put the link in with HTML, but generally that sentence is what goes on Twitter and you don't want HTML in Twitter. So I press two buttons and it selects that text, chucks it into TechSoap, removes the HTML and leaves it on the clipboard ready for me to put in Twitter without any of that. And it's through TechSoap's remove HTML. Loads of things for that. Now, now I hear the voice of Wes Hilliard, like a thousand voices crying out and suddenly silence. He would say shortcuts. You could just do this with shortcuts. Is there benefits you think to text soap that shortcuts can do yet or is it just quicker just what do you think um i've never used shortcuts to do uh text manipulation mm. in fact i don't think i even knew that you could if you can then that's how you could do it on an ipad isn't it which is why wes would know about it first um yeah i don't know the answer i'm gonna have to find out shortcuts has commands where you can convert html to rich text or plain text and then you know copy it back to the clipboard Again, shortcuts on the Mac have been a slightly buggy. You can follow Matthew Casanelli for all the woes of shortcuts on the Mac. We actually talked about it on an interview episode earlier this year, but maybe with some of these bug fixes that just came out this week, it's a little better. But I still hold on to Text Expander, yeah. which for what I use Text Expander for, shortcuts could do, but I just find Text Expander to be so fast. And I imagine Text Soap is like that too. It's just super quick and lightweight, that kind of stuff. Actually, I opened shortcuts while you were saying that, and there is no direct way to do this. There, you can do it the other way around. You can make HTML from rich text, fine. But that thing of scanning a piece of text, finding the HTML and remove it, you'd have to start uh, doing sort of regex right. uh, stuff in it. And I can't remember if uh, shortcuts supports regex, as I know my head doesn't. It, <laughs> it does support regex because I use some of those 
when I take the notes from our Apple note to make it into HTML for the Apple Insider article. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll remove like bullets and spaces and paragraph breaks and all that. But yeah, you could work out a shortcut in which Regex looks for the opening bracket of HTML, removes everything to the end of the bracket plus the brackets and then keeps looping through. Um, you could do it and once you've done it, it would be fine. But right. that's emulating one thing that TechSoap does. So I don't know that it's worth the effort. Very good. Well, TechSoap, we'll put the link in show notes. That's another good recommendation. And we have 800 more to go. Every time William's on, he will suggest another <laughs> Macintosh application. Very gladly. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Very good. Also, so just update all your stuff. TVOS 15.3. Also, watchOS 8.4, the HomePods. Everything got updated this past week. So update it all. Performance, stability fixes, all that good stuff. And once you've updated to watchOS 8.4, you can also download a new watch face to celebrate Black History Month coming up in February. Apple released a Unity Lights Apple Watch face, which is really cool. And they also released a Black Unity braided solo loop, which is really nice. It's a black braided solo loop with specs of the colors from the Unity Lights face and all that. I, I think they're really cool. I tried the Unity Lights face. Yeah. I have it on my Apple Watch right now. And uh, it also looks like lightsabers, which is pretty cool. I'm just going to throw <laughs> that out there. But yes, it does. I'm looking at it on really mine does. now. Okay. It really does. I really like how it illuminates it. And the way they do the lights and shadows on the watch face, as far as if you turn on the hour tick marks on the watch face, the tick marks kind of break the light that are coming out of the watch hands. It's a really beautiful watch face. So kudos on that one. And I actually bought one of those braided solo loops. They're not available just yet. I was actually at an Apple store yesterday as we record bringing in a Genius Bar computer appointment, but they do not have these in store just yet. Looks like they'll be available in a couple weeks. Mine should be coming in the mail next week. I think they said February 2 through 5th. So I'll post some pictures and tweet them out once I get it in. But I like it. I like the watch face too. It's cool. This is actually the first time I remember Apple pushing a notification telling me that there was such a work, um, a watch face. I haven't seen that before. Yeah. And I don't know. I think there was a a pride Apple watch face that came out ah. maybe two years ago. I don't think there was a notification. I don't know if it just kind of like showed up in the Apple watch app, but yeah, actually I did get a notification hmm. for this Apple watch face and you could add it right away. I know some people were not seeing it or struggling. I don't know if you had to update your watch OS. I don't think you did. No. I think you could add the watch face, even if you were on watch OS 8.3, but if you're having issues, maybe restart your Apple Watch, update to the latest software. It should definitely be there. And it's not just a Series 7 thing. I think you can get this on any of the Apple Watches. This episode is brought to you by Truebill. Now, tell me if you relate to this. You probably signed up for some free trials, maybe with some services online, maybe it's streaming services or just things you wanted to try, but then you forget to cancel that free trial and now it's cost you money. Maybe it's tens of dollars. Maybe you forget for a long time and it's cost you up to hundreds of dollars. Well, the answer is to use Truebill. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Yes, they will actually cancel your subscriptions. It connects using Plaid to your bank or credit card so you know it's safe and secure. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel those unwanted subscriptions. I've been using Truebill personally for a while now, and it actually told me when my storage unit went up in price every month. Before the storage company even let me know the price was going up, Truebill alerted me that that subscription went higher. And then I can decide, do I want to go to another one? Do I want to cancel? Truebill gives you that power. 
Truebill has over 2 million users and has helped them save over $100 million. It's like Jennifer B. who says, with Truebill's help, her family saved $587 a year on unnecessary subscriptions. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. Go right now, Truebill.com slash Apple Insider, and it could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. That's T-R-U-E. B-I-L-L.com slash Apple Insider. The link will be in the show description as well. Our thanks to Truebill for sponsoring this episode. So Bloomberg reported that coming soon, iPhones may be able to directly accept credit card and contactless payments. Like if you were a business and maybe you were using a square, like point of sale system, maybe the NFC card, that maybe Apple is going to build in this feature to the iPhone. And I thought this was fascinating. People would be able to pay with NFC, whether it was Apple Pay or Google Pay, and be able to pay you for your services or products directly to your iPhone without needing any other special equipment. This is a direct competition to Square and other payment processes. I think PayPal also has like point of sale systems like this. But I thought this was very fascinating. It really looks like Apple is building out tools for small businesses and businesses in general where you're not going to have to go to third-party companies for a lot of these payment processing. They have the Apple Business Essentials device management features now, so you don't have to go to someone like Jamf or Kanji to get a device management. You can do it all built in with Apple's tools. So I think this is very fascinating. Do you think this is likely to happen? Very, actually. Uh, the moment you hear it, you think it's obvious. It never occurred to me before, but now it's said, it seems like a very, well, a great idea unless you're one of these other services. I, I have an iZettle reader for when I used to go to um, out into the world. Pre-COVID, I used to go to uh, various conferences and things where I'd be asked to bring books and I would sell them through iZettle and it all worked very nicely as well. So I can use this more. Yeah, this is coming, I think. And I'm, I don't know what the other companies are going to think about it. They'll all move to Android and say Android is better. That's what they'll do. <laughs> they'll move to Android with RCS. Not, not going there this week. Not going there. <laughs> Now, this is because in August 2020, it's a little over a year ago, Apple purchased a company called MobiWave, a payments technology startup that was developing this kind of technology. I'm curious, I think I know the answer to this, but is this going to be something that Apple builds in and it's strictly a first party proprietary payment system? Or will Apple create an API where someone like Square, who already takes payments with their Bluetooth reader that you can connect to a phone, will they allow someone like Square? to use the internal NFC chip as a receiving chip and have people actually pay but using Square and collect those payments over things like Apple Pay and contactless payments. I don't think they're going to do an API. I think this is going to be like an Apple business feature and kind of like Apple Pay Cash is now because you could send money iPhone to iPhone with Apple Pay Cash right now and there's no processing fees. I think this will have a processing fee for sure. Mm. But do you think Apple would open this up to third parties or is this just going to be an Apple thing? Well, remember that um, when Safari and things started adding more password things in it, all the password app makers sank in their seats and suddenly Apple said, and for third parties, they allowed an API for it. So they have a history they can choose to do it. I can't imagine they would do a payment system for free for one of these people, but I could see them <laughs> right. creaming a bit off the top. Uh, I just, I don't know what the advantage is to any of these firms. Um, I have used Square. I use Square to send invoices actually to clients. And I've used the Square contactless reader, 
which is this little rounded square device, like a physical hardware device mm. that you connect via Bluetooth to your phone. And then someone can actually insert a credit card, like full on credit card chip reader, or they could do the NFC payments with this little square device. But you have to make sure you have it, that it's charged. You actually have to you know, make sure it's connected via Bluetooth when you need to use it. So there is a level of friction when you have to use an accessory to accept a payment. But if this was built into the iPhone, you would need no accessory. You don't have to make sure something's charged or on or paired via Bluetooth. You could literally just hold up your iPhone and someone tap their iPhone to yours and they pay you for a service or for a product. I think it would remove a lot of that friction, which I could see Apple taking a cut of all the payments that use this, even from third parties like Square, but they could also just go with a first party solution and just them, you know, just the, just be available to Apple business users. I suggest they might do it uh, as open to other vendors, but that actually effectively it's a first party only thing. Because if I'm looking at that as the Square company, then yes, I know I don't have to make those readers. A Square user or iZettle user, I don't have to remember it, use it just like you said. But it comes down to I'm using my iPhone to do something. And what is the difference between doing it with Apple's uh, own brand or iZettle or Squares? And there is no technical difference. So I think I would stop signing up for Square. I would just carry on using my Apple accounts right. that I've already got and I'm already paying for. Right. So they might well be open, but the truth is they know they're going to win anyway. That does sound a bit Apple, <laughs> Apple oppressive. Yeah. Now I've said it. But again, we're not going in. We're not going no. there. We're not no. going to lock in or anything. No. <laughs> I could do it this week. Okay. Not doing it. You're tempting me, but I'm not <laughs> yes. going to do it. And I think it's interesting. You know, Apple Pay launched with the iPhone. Six, I believe, in 2013. Wow. And it's basically nine years old at this point. But it really just felt like it was during the pandemic in 2020 where contactless payments finally became ubiquitous. I find that there is now rarely a place where I can't use Apple Pay with my Apple Watch. You know, two, three years ago, I think it was the case where you had to find the places that did accept it. Like you would know Walgreens accepted it. You know, maybe if some store upgraded their point of sale system to accept it. But now it really feels like it is everywhere. I know I go to Publix grocery store. They accept it. I go to another food, like a health food store called Chamberlain's here in Central Florida. They now accept Apple Pay. Even the pet store where I go to buy dog food, which you would not think accept Apple Pay. You know, they have one of those card readers that's on like an Ethernet cable and they kind of hand you the whole thing. (laughs) You know, it's got the keypad built in. But that accepts Apple Pay too. I, I find it now rare if a place doesn't accept it. And so it feels like now would be the time, now that contactless payments have become ubiquitous, at least here in the US, to launch something like this. What about over there in the UK? Do you find that most places take Apple Pay and contactless payments now? Honestly, when you say things like this, uh, it seems bizarre to me uh, that you ever have to think about it. From the minute Apple Pay existed, it was accepted in the UK everywhere. There is nowhere that doesn't accept it because we already had contactless systems built in and far more, seemingly far more common than the States. So it made absolutely no difference. There hasn't been one single occasion when there's been any doubts about using Apple Pay. We have limits that I don't know if you have in the States. At the moment, it's you can't spend more than £45 using Apple Pay, uh, um, using card links. Yeah, just to online stuff, no limits, all that thing. But at a card reader in a store, you flash your watch at something and 45 pounds is the limit or illegally the government says 45 pounds lots of stores don't care and just let you do it anyway so but we have that but 
there isn't anywhere. There isn't a single uh, outlet, vendor, card reader, anything that has not ever always accepted Apple Pay. So it feels weird that America, to me, seems like it's been very, very slow. And Apple is an American company. It invented this. Uh, so bizarre that they're having to take all this time to get everywhere. But, you know, I like it so much. I'm glad you've got it. Yeah, listen, uh, America's slow on a number of things, but... Yeah, you still got Apple Card, though, and we haven't. So, you know... <laughs> that is true. Is that. That is true. Yeah. Now, I'm curious... Like, do you have Best Buys over there or some other electronics equivalent store? Um, we do, but they seem to keep closing down. There's one called Curry's, which I can't remember now if it's still on the high street because who goes on the high street anymore? But it was briefly and it comes back and it's definitely online. So, yeah, we have no obvious Best Buy analog, but we have had at times. When you've had it, did they accept contactless payments? Yes, of course. So for large ticket items, could you use it or no? Good point. Um, I never bought a large ticket item using Apple Pay in one of those stores because I tended not to, the stores tended to be I don't know what Best Buy is really like um, but these were not uh, there was Curry's and Dixon's and they were kind of okay but you if you could buy somewhere else you tended to so I tended to I can only imagine that they have the limits but I, I yesterday I, I, there's a petrol station near me okay it's a petrol station that takes no contact and stuff I almost forgot to have a card with me to go to it because I never carry cash. I never carry cards. I've just got my watch. Yeah. We'll see if this actually comes. I'm very curious about it. I think it'd be, again, just be another additional feature in like future iPhones. Although I hope they don't limit it to just like the newest iPhones. I hope it is something. I don't know. I don't imagine the NFC chip hardware would have to change in a new model because NFC does work both ways. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, we have more rumors and leaks talking about an updated Mac mini and a larger iMac that's coming. Dylan DKT on Twitter. We've heard from him a lot recently, but he's saying that Apple's going to have a spring event looking like March or April. So we're just a couple months away from it. And that it would feature devices like we've mentioned before, a 5G iPhone SE, a 5G updated iPad Air with a 15 processor and the Mac mini and iMac with M1 Pro and M1 Max chips. So again, we're hearing so many rumblings and leaks that are coming about this faded Apple event. I can't wait for it. I'm very much looking forward to that larger iMac and I think it might might be my new desktop. We'll see. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? anything you're excited and might get from this event, William? I think there's going to be a 5G Apple car, obviously. Oh my. That's uh, <laughs> very key. Okay, very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. 5G Apple car. They're getting a 6G maybe no i don't know uh, can't we just be happy with what we've got you know there's so many Absolutely. good things listen <laughs> i listen i was you know it's funny you mentioned that i will say the current lineup of apple devices is just excellent yeah i mean using the ipads to edit podcasts is a seamless like more speed i don't even know what benefit there would be like it, it works so well the new macbook pros are excellent the only thing that i want is a apple display and or a high-end imac Cause I just, I like the idea of a desktop where it's just sitting there and, you know, I hit the space bar and it just wakes up immediately rather than connecting my MacBook Pro every time. Again, that's a first world problem. I mean, it's very convenient. I have it set up where one Thunderbolt cable powers a ton of devices on my desk here. But I do like the idea of a desktop, maybe a little bit better performance because of heat dissipation and mm. fans and all that. So I'm excited for that big iMac. And I think that's what I'm going to go with. The the updated Mac mini, they would really have to have an Apple display alongside it for me to be tempted by the Mac mini because this LG Ultrafine, it's starting to get a little glitchy. It kind of blacks out periodically for a few seconds, which right. that's not fun. No, And, you know, it's kind of meh. So... Unless there's some kind of Apple display that comes out, that's that's why I'm looking at the iMac. So you don't have that problem with your eight foot wide monitor, do you? No, it stays on all the time. No, but uh, the, I think the best Mac I ever had really was a uh, 2012 27 inch iMac. Can't remember what I had before it. I mean, it was a Mac Pro, but I can't remember what 
display I had, uh, but it was so gorgeous and it looks so good. And that was pre-Retina iMac. So to see mm -hmm. one today, I, I won't get it because I have MacBook Pro, I have Mac Mini, I have this giant monitor, but that is the one that actually I will be deeply envious of you forgetting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I went to an Apple store again the other day and the, I saw those 24 inch iMacs just sitting there. I'm like, man, those look good. Yeah. I can't wait to see what a larger one looks like. That mint green. Yes. I like that seafoam green. It's very nice. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yes. You don't need, it's funny, isn't it? There's such gorgeous photography on Apple's sites, but then when you see it, there are some machines that just are better. And the mint uh, iMac is one. I think the green Apple Watch Series 7 is much better in real mm. life than in the photographs. I don't know why that would be. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Speaking of M1 Pro and M1 Max, Intel released some new chips that it was claiming totally destroys the M1 Max chip from Apple. But there's like 18 asterisks along these claims. <laughs> the biggest thing that you need to know, listener, is these chips, according to Geekbench testing, this is from PC World, and also Anantech did some testing of these chips along with the M1 Max. But the Intel chips appear maybe 3 to 4% faster on single and multi-core Geekbench scores. This new Intel chip compared to the M1 Max. And that is actually the margin of error for Geekbench testing. So it does not appear that these Intel chips are really any faster than the M1 Max. And then when you compare it to the power usage, it is just a world of difference. If you use these Intel chips to the maximum power, you're talking about maybe six hours of offline video playback. And that's using the GE76 Raider. That was a PC world test. And this is in comparison to the MacBook Pros that could run for hours and hours. So again, the power difference is just massive. You're talking about 100 watts from the PC side as compared to like 40 watts the MacBook Pro uses when it's on load. So again, yes, the Intel chips are 3 to 4% faster, maybe barring any margin of error, and they use a ton more power. So not really M1 Max killers. Except... Isn't it impressive that they've done it at all? I mean, imagine if they weren't Apple Silicon. That's true. And these uh, were the processes Apple was buying next. We'd be very pleased with them. Even with the power consumption, we'd be a bit pleased with them, probably. That is true. Although, I have to say, I've been editing video, obviously, on my M1 Pro. This is just an M1 Pro MacBook Pro. And I will edit just sitting on a sofa on battery power. I can edit a 15-minute 4K video, putting in transitions, having multi-cam clips in Final Cut, and even after editing for a couple hours, the battery will be at like 70 to 80%, and I can export it using compressor and then do a bunch of other things like make thumbnails and all that, and it does not even choke, it doesn't slow down, and this is just the M1 Pro Apple Silicon chip, and again, like even after all of that, I'll have 60%, 70% battery left. And so I, I don't know, I think that battery stuff, especially for those using laptops for this kind of work, that battery life stuff is just excellent. But I bet it doesn't warm up your lap the way the Intel one would. That is true. So in the winter, which one are you really going to go for? I don't, I don't know. That's true. And uh, it's winter in Florida right now, William. I don't know if you heard. We hit like 30 degrees as the low right. over here in central Florida. That's a big deal. Uh, I'm assuming that's Fahrenheit. Is it? I don't know. Yes, yes. 30, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. Yes. I, I cannot work out the maths to figure out what that is in real money. Um, but is, <laughs> that's cold, is it? <laughs> well, I mean, it's cold for Florida. Um, I've got Alfred. Uh, Negative one Celsius. 30 oh. degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Yeah, it actually. That, I guess. That's quite, quite nippy. Yes. 
Yeah, it got below freezing. Now, next week in Florida, the high on Thursday right now is 80, <laughs> 80 degrees Fahrenheit, which using this Google is 26 degrees Celsius. So, you know, it warms up next week, at least here in Florida. Right. Uh, actually, 26.67 degrees Celsius, according to, according to Wolfram Alpha. So, you know, who are you oh, going to trust? Okay. okay. <laughs> well, that is, you know, I'll trust Wolfram Alpha, actually. <laughs> I'll, I'll trust them. Yes. All right, well, I wanted to talk about this tip. Actually, Wes Hilliard, again, you hear him every other week here on the show. He actually helped me out on this iMessage spam setting. So there's actually a couple tip videos on Apple Insider talking about silencing unknown callers which if you have not turned the setting on yet on your iPhone, you need to do it yesterday, which you go to the settings app on your iPhone, you go down to phone, and then you scroll down and there's a little option that says silence unknown callers. Hmm. If you turn that on, anyone not in your contacts already on your phone does not ring your phone, they go straight to voicemail. And it is an incredible feature. It was announced a couple iOSs ago, really cuts down on those spam calls. It's amazing. You should do it. Now, if you're waiting for a call from like a doctor or something, yeah, you got to yeah, turn it off. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, uh, I, I work occasionally for different parts of BBC Radio and they will phone me from any number of different phone numbers. And if I have that on, then I lose the work. Mm. Uh, but so every now, I, I don't turn it on except when I just seem to have a, a spam call seems to come in waves. If I'm in the middle of a wave, I'll just think I don't care about the work. I will use that setting <laughs> for a couple of days. Right. So you do have to be careful. Again, if you get a lot of calls, you know, if you're in sales or something and you have oh, a yes. bunch of phone numbers that might be contacting you not in your context, it wouldn't be useful for you. I understand that. But I don't know about you, William, but at least here in the US, there have been a lot more spam text messages coming through on phones. I mean, I get spam texts everywhere, almost daily. It's super annoying. So there's actually an option. I was I asked Apple on Twitter, not personally, I just kind of tweeted out, hey, Apple, you know, which is not really contacting them. But anyway, oh. <laughs> I said, hey, Apple, give us a silence unknown callers, but for messages, and Wes pointed out that this does exist kind of mm. as a setting. So if you go to the settings app on your iPhone, you go to the messages settings, you scrolled all the way down, and there is a filter unknown senders option in messages. Now, if you toggle this on filter unknown senders, what happens is your messages application now on your iPhone gets broken up into three boxes. You have all messages, known senders, and then unknown senders. Oh, yes. Yeah, anyone not in your contacts will get sent to that unknown senders box. And you could just tap the known senders and let that be your kind of default view. Then you could see if you get any notifications or any messages from unknown senders. So I did that, but then I kept getting spam text notifications. And so I was like, okay, but it doesn't fix the notification part. And Wes said, well, actually, <laughs> there's a setting for that too. And so again, you go back to the settings app, you go to notifications, you scroll down to messages. And once you're there, you scroll down to the customize notifications. Then there is an option for allow notifications from unknown senders toggle on or off. And if you toggle that off, you will not get notifications like banners or anything or badges from unknown text message senders. So I toggled that off. And now I did get a spam text after I did that. And I did not see the spam text until I went to the messages application and they have the unknown senders box there that I could check it. 
Now, again, you have to be careful if you have two-factor authentication turned on uh. for different website logins. Yeah. Obviously, you can go there and check it out and see the you know six-digit code or whatever for two-factor. I haven't run into many issues with that because I have most of my two-factors in one password or iCloud keychain rather than an SMS text, which I recommend everyone does. But it also doesn't really sync to the Mac. Your Mac messages doesn't have that same inbox breakout from known and unknown senders. So this feature does not really sync across to your Mac per se. Everything's still kind of in the one inbox and you can't really do anything about that. So this feature is kind of half-baked right now. Again, it works pretty well on the iPhone, but if you have your Mac that you also do your messages on, it's not gonna be as seamless as the you know broken out message boxes on your iPhone. But it's great that the feature is there. I hope it gets kind of fleshed out a little bit, maybe at WWDC. But if you didn't know, that's how you do it. I'm doing that. I'm having that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very yeah, much. It's, yes. It's, it's pretty slick. It's pretty slick. All right, well, I also wanted to touch on a MagSafe accessory that I tried out. I'm wondering, William, did you ever get Apple's MagSafe battery pack when that came out? The $100 battery pack? No. Uh, no, wait a minute. Hang on. I'm getting things mixed up here. Do you mean the for the, the one that uh, clumps on the back of the iPhone? Yeah, it just snaps onto the back of the iPhone via MagSafe. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. So I got it, you know, because got to talk about it and stuff. And it's been okay. I've used it a couple times. I let my wife use it one time when her battery was low. And, you know, it's fine. It doesn't charge super fast. There's no status indicator to let you know how charged it is unless you actually attach it to your phone. It's lightning, not USB-C. So it's got some caveats and it's $100. You know, $100 battery pack, it's probably one of the most expensive ones you can get. And so I've tried other ones before and now I've landed on a new one from Anchor. It's been out for a couple months now, but I got one and I wanted to highlight it. This is the Anchor 622 magnetic battery. It is MagSafe. Not 15 watt MagSafe. It does still just charge at the 7.5 watt. So you're not going to get as fast as charging as MagSafe, but it charges faster than the Apple MagSafe battery pack. So if you want a little faster charger, plus this Anchor one has USB-C, which is nice, has a button on the bottom and some LED lights. So you can click that button and it tells you how charged the battery pack is without having to attach it to your phone. And the best part is it has this little flap that you can actually flap down and there's a magnet inside that you can use it as a kickstand. And so this is a battery pack that has a built-in kickstand that you can use in both portrait and landscape with your iPhone. And listen, they didn't sponsor it. They didn't send it to me. I just bought it because I, I wanted it. And it's 60 bucks as opposed to $100 here in the US. So $60 as opposed to $100, you get more battery like wattage. It's like a larger battery than the Apple one. You get the status indicator. You get faster charging. It comes in nice colors. I got that mint green one and it has a built-in kickstand. It's really nice. So I just want to let everybody know it's a, it's a pretty cool option. But this says to me that, I mean, it sounds like you need this. Uh, with my iPhone 13 Pro, uh, very rarely do I uh, knock the battery down t to nothing for it. I found it much better than even the 12 Pro. Do you find you run out of battery power enough that you really need this? I do. The battery life is definitely better on the 13 lineup, but I'm actually not sitting down at a Mac for as many hours as you might be. And so I'm away from a desk most days, a majority of the time. And I, so I use my iPhone a lot, you know, whether it's emails, texting, coordinating, things like that. I, I use my iPhone a ton. And so I do find that at some point in the day, I have to charge it most days to last until I actually go to sleep. 
you know, it's a low, it'll go to low power mode and I'll have like 10%, 15% by the end of the day. But some days if I'm, you know, really out and about, it helps to have a, a MagSafe battery pack. And I, you know, just to throw it on there, if I'm not in my car and I'm not, I'm not driving somewhere, so I can't charge it in the car. I like having one of these just handy. You know, sometimes too, if you just want to like help other people out again, like I helped my wife out the other day, sometimes people I work with, like they're like, oh, my phone's dying to just be able to like throw them a MagSafe battery pack and they put it on the back of their phone and it's like magic to them. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. So I kind of like doing that too. 52 pounds and 99 pence in the UK. I've just looked it up and I am a little bit okay. tempted. Because I, I, I do notice the moment I leave my house, I, all I phone, the batteries just start going down and down. I presume <laughs> it's hunting for things and stuff that I should um, work on. But uh, yeah, as soon as you said that about being outside, I thought, yes, he's right, actually. Good point there. Yeah, for some reason, I don't know, maybe, uh, although for cellular, cellular uses more battery than if it just sits on Wi-Fi all day. So yeah, when you do leave the house, it goes down faster. All right, well, real quick, I wanted to highlight a microphone review that I did up on appleinsider.com. It's a written review with a bunch of photos. I reviewed the Earthworks Audio Ethos and Icon microphones. I've actually been using the Ethos on the past two episodes of the Apple Insider show. I'm using it right now. And so if you like how this sounds, if you hear a difference between this and the Shure SM7B I used previously, this is a really nice microphone. I'd really love it. You can read the full review. I'll put the link in show notes, but just wanted to highlight that if you're in the market for a high-end microphone or a high-end USB microphone. They also have their Icon, which is USB. It's micro USB, which is unfortunate. I really hope they make a USB-C version soon, but their microphones are just excellent. So I just wanted to highlight that. If you like how it sounds, links in the show notes to the full review. Do, do I sound velvety to you, William? Always. On this microphone? Always. Oh, oh, I go oh, a little weak at the kind of knees, but you know. <laughs> I almost believe you until you said that, but thank, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, two listener questions wanted to answer before we round out the show. Holger on Twitter actually asked about iPadOS keyboard shortcuts. He asked, is there a place to see where the keyboard shortcuts are listed? And honestly, it's kind of hard to search for this on the internet. You know, there's articles from different outlets that talk about all the different keyboard shortcuts, but keyboard shortcuts change per app. You know, if you're in in an app on your iPad, the keyboard shortcuts might be slightly different than another app. And so here's the tip. If you use an iPad with a smart keyboard or a magic keyboard, one of those smart folio keyboards, any of those, one of Apple's keyboards, this might work with some of the bridge and other ones. I'm just not sure. But if you use one of those keyboards, hold the command button on that keyboard for a few seconds, and all of a sudden, a menu will pop up showing you all the keyboard shortcuts available to you for that app specifically and for global keyboard shortcuts as well. Things like Command H to go home if you're on the iPad and other keyboard shortcuts for even like split view and multitasking. So if you want to know what iPadOS keyboard shortcuts are available to you, hold the command key for a few seconds while your iPad is connected to a smart or magic keyboard and that keyboard shortcut menu will pop up and you'll see all the keyboard shortcuts that are available. So it's a nice little tip there. Do you use a lot of keyboard shortcuts when you're using your iPad and magic keyboard? Uh, less so with the iPad than with the Mac for some reason. But yeah, Command H, things like that. I realize I know about that thing popping up because I, I seem to have a habit with the keyboard of resting on the command key. So I'm reading something and then suddenly there are all the shortcuts in front of me and I keep doing it. But at least, you know, I know where to look for them. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me too. I'll hold the command key, try to remember what keyboard yes. shortcut I'm intending to do. And then it popped up and I said, oh, that's great. Yes. It actually lets me know all the things I need to do. That's just as a side note, that's the kind of magical touch that Apple brings to its software development because it knows you're probably holding the command button wondering what keyboard shortcut to do. So it just says, 
I'll show it to you. Here's the full menu of keyboard shortcuts. And this final question is from David Kurz. And it, there was actually a lot of other questions, especially related to the new house that I'm building, home theater and networking. Tune into the HomeKit Insider show that comes out every Monday. There'll be a link in the show description here to go subscribe to that show. And I talk a lot about it. There's actually a video where I show some in-ceiling speakers that I got for the house as well. So I'm kind of chronicling all that on HomeKit Insider. Subscribe to that show. It comes out every Monday. It's a lot of fun. But David Kurz is actually, I might need your help with this, William. I'm not sure a good answer for David. He's actually from Germany, listens to Apple Insider and HomeKit Insider, which is awesome. Thanks, David. He's looking for a way to selectively delete browser history or browser data. Now you can clear all browser history relatively easily, like just automatically delete everything. But he wants to know, can he delete everything that's automatically older than a day, but keep open tabs available. Now, when I go into Safari, you know, you can go to history and you can do show all history and you can clear history. I don't want to click it right now because I don't intend to clear my history. But as far as I know, you can delete a single day. So I can, in this view, right click and delete a day of Safari history, but I can't select multiple days. Oh, no, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm looking at it here. Kind of. Kind of. I'm 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 be given the option for the last hour, today, today and yesterday, or all history. So not um just yesterday or or just everything before yesterday. What I would do is I would automate that so at the end of the day it deletes uh, all history. Right. Now you can right click a day here, like if you collapse all the days in the Safari history, you collapse everything, you can right click an individual day and click delete on that day. And it looks like if you click a day, hold shift, click another date farther down the list, you can't, if you right click, it'll unselect them. But if you leave them selected, go to edit and then hit the delete there. It looks like you might be able to delete multiple days all at once. But now I'm not sure if you can like select a day and say everything earlier than this day, delete that. I don't see an option for that here in the Safari history. I don't think there's any shortcuts or anything that lets you do that either. Uh, is there a shortcut for taking you to the bottom of a Safari page? I can't, a top I know. I'm sure there's a keyboard command for like, because home and end, yeah. you know, like on a normal keyboard has that. Yes, there is. In that case, I, I mean, this is so convoluted, but you could have Keyboard Maestro, open Safari, open history. Keyboard Maestro can look for certain things on the screen. So you could say, look for five clocks down or something and select that line and then shift click down to the bottom hit delete and when the menu comes up look for the menu that comes up hit you could you could just about do it but i I, frankly i'd rather spend five days in regex than try to figure this one out (laughs) keyboard maestro i know it's powerful so you could tell it like look for the clocks and just select the fifth clock yes Wow, that's pretty slick. It's amazing. I, I, uh, at the end of the day, in Pixelmator Pro, for example, I tend to have 20 images open, and I know I don't need to save it. I've exported them in the format I need. The originals can go. So I have Keyboard Maestro. Uh, uh, closes them, looks for the button that says delete rather than save, presses it for me, and it closes the next one and presses it for me and things. Um, it's amazing. It can just identify a bit of the screen that you tell it to. William, that use case alone might have me jump to Keyboard Maestro because I have that same issue with Pixelmator Pro. Oh, right. And rather than 
manually click, you know, click delete or whatever on each one. Man. Well, in that case, let me tell you, just to be more exact, it closes every single one except the last one, and I don't know why. But it's really quite fun. I press two buttons, and it's boom, 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 all closing in front of me while I get a cup of tea. It's very satisfying. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, David, Keyboard Maestro might be the answer to automate this process. Otherwise, it looks like you can like manually select, shift-click days, things like that. But no shortcuts built in yet, and I don't think there's any option like in Safari to do that just yet. Oh, actually, he could just not use Safari ever, <laughs> you know, uh, or maybe once a month or something like that, so that there's nothing to yeah, deliver. Yeah. Okay, that's possibly not very That's very useful. helpful, William. Thank you. Thanks, Thank uh, you for that final tip, final tip of the show, that perennial tip. Yeah, I like to contribute, clearly, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. Well, you you are the, the obscure Mac utility and keyboard maestro expert, so yes, mm. we, we appreciate that, William. Thank you. <laughs> well, listeners, if you have any answers for David, or if you have questions about anything we talked about, we would love to hear from you. You can follow William and myself on Twitter. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. I have a Signal number. If you know, if you're from Apple or Google and want to just send an anonymous tip, you can totally do that on Signal. You'll remain anonymous. If you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We'd love to give you a shout-out at the top of the show in future episodes. And you can also support the show at $5 a month, either at patreon.com slash appleinsider or directly in Apple Podcasts. And you get an ad-free version of the show, early access, and you get into our Discord channel as well. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider. It comes out every Monday, and we'll put a link in the description for that as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.